Reef Therapy by Reef Builders is brought to you by ICP Analysis. What's in your water? Mark Vanderwall, welcome to the Reef Builder Studio, the first ever session of Reef Therapy IRL. How are you doing, brother? Good. Cheers, by the way. Cheers, yeah, absolutely. Um, man, you were definitely a, a trooper. If uh, I guess I would just like to say for all the listeners that this is definitely a companion episode of the Reef Therapy Sessions podcast to a marathon two-hour tour of the Reef Builder Studio that Mark just went through. Yeah, and I mean, we, we talked about all the systems, and I really tried to address it since I'm, I'm a viewer as well, a remote viewer right back on the East Coast and, and seeing the studio through the eyes or lens of YouTube. Um, I really am glad that we went through and did such a, a thorough um, tour, but at the same rate, it's amazing that really we just covered really some of the just great points about every tank or interesting points and it still took us hours we really didn't deep dive there's still so much more that we could have discussed that we left on the table there was there was a lot left on the table that is definitely one way to put it um was i always have to like look around and count how many tanks we're up to one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirty there's about 20 tanks here we'll just call it a nice round 10 reef aquarium displays and if you've ever seen like a decent two or three foot tank you can sit around one of those with a reef buddy of yours and you know chew the cud for half a day yeah i mean i'm staring at these uh four innovative marine tanks next to your mangrove display and any one of these tanks we could spend an hour just sitting in front of with a beer chatting it up yeah you know the, what's really interesting is like um the last two years i've really been um like shoring up the the engine right the mechanics of the aquarium itself and now i'm to the point where almost everything is super dialed in and the only thing left to do with some of these tanks is curation mm -hmm. like where does which coral go next to another one um getting a little bit more um sophisticated with my uh, flow programs my lighting programs always start i mean i have a pretty good template for how to do the lighting but the flow is something i've been uh, uh getting a little bit to become a little bit more dynamic uh throughout the day that was a question i didn't ask on the video but you i think you just answered it was as we were going through these tanks if any of these tanks were in my house um i mean obviously there's always room to grow out corals further there's always room to prune and and build new things but I feel like a lot of these tanks are, are in a really nicely mature spot. Now, I, I was going to ask you, uh, actually on the video, but I didn't, was uh, do you feel like you're transitioning into a new phase, right? It's not so much the buildup of the reefs, but you, uh, you mentioned the word curation, right? Um, obviously, there's more to build. I mean, you, we talked about that mega tank over there. Yeah. There's more. And I mean, you've got plenty of room to set up even more systems if you wanted to. But it's just, for me, it's also interesting to see, and I don't know, we talked about this with planet tanks. Uh, a lot of planet guys will reboot their systems every once in a while, right? Yep. And you have the opportunity to do that because you have places that, okay, this coral doesn't fit my vision for this tank anymore. I've got 19 other tanks I can move that coral to. So you always have that opportunity. But do you feel like you're in a different phase from 
or have you been in that phase for a while? I don't know. You know, so when I first started up the studio, I, I, I set up a bunch of tanks and for, uh, I mean, until now, I'm still like in that coral acquisition phase, right? I'm still yeah. like, in my mind, I'm like, I need to collect them all, right? <laughs> I want to have the living catalog of all the corals. And periodically, like, I don't know, maybe every nine months, I will, I will give myself a um, uh, suspension of like three to four or five months, be like, all right, now's the time to make sure every coral's in the right place, um, make sure it is on display, because you know a lot of the corals, they go in the, the coral flats first as they're kind of maturing and settling into aquarium life. And one of the biggest challenges, you know, is even with like a single group of coral, yeah. um, very few corals grow in proportion with each other. Right? Even if yeah, you have, different rates. Man, and even if you had like 10 of the exact same, or you know, 10 watermelon chalices from the wild, you know that two of them are gonna just grow like crazy. Yeah. Five or six of them are gonna grow like normal, and two of them are gonna stagnate, right? Same thing with, uh, with zoanthids, right? Um, I think Nirvana is one of those zoanthids that goes gangbusters. Um, what's another one? Uh, the Rastas go crazy. And then some other strains just might you know, sit there and look at you before they really settle in and grow very well. So it's trying to, trying to balance that out across the LPS corals, across the bubble corals, across the Montiporas, the Euphelias, the assorted you know, uh, medium polyp colonies and stuff. Um, and that's, that's probably even worse with the soft corals because like one soft coral would just, will grow like a, like a literal weed <laughs> where some others will just sit there and look at you. So I'm at definitely at the point now where it's like, all right, I got enough coral, but where do they need to go to be um, best presented? Makes sense, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're, we, uh, we talked a bit about it on the video and it's probably something that you're used to being in this space, but um, I am still, um, I still think it's so cool that you have the ability to place the same coral in so many different environments with so many different light and flow situations and see differences. Like that's gotta be, I think the information derived from that over time has gotta be significant, right? It's so informative, right? Cause like our perfect example is my pink alveopora. I've kept it in high light. I've kept it in medium light. I've kept it in like a shaded bright light tank. And then I put a random piece in the very low light, like 40 gallon SPS or LPS tank. And it, it looks okay and, and good and grows in every one of those systems. But in the low light tank, it is what you hope yeah. <laughs> alveopora would look like with extremely long stretched out polyps, super pink tentacles. Oh, yeah. And um, you know, if you have one tank in a couple zones, it's gonna take you a lot longer than if you have five pieces of the same coral and multiple zones and multiple tanks. Yeah, and maybe, I, I, I think on one of the reef therapies, I disagreed with the assessment that re mixed reefs are hard. I hear that a lot. Uh, and I, I think you also disagree. You are more of the in agreement that mixed reefs are hard, perhaps. But I, I believe that trying to keep every coral in the same kind of tank is the hardest thing possible. Well, and I'm... I'm willing to walk back my statement on that because I have successfully kept a lot of corals mixed together without problem, but now seeing 
how significant, how significant of a difference these corals can look like in different tanks. I can also see how a mixed reef is hard. If your goal is to have every coral be mm -hmm. in its peak color, peak example of, of, of what that coral should look like, right? You, you hit or the nail on you the want freaking like. head. Yes, you can keep a whales ophelia, trachophilia alive in your acropora tank. Is it gonna look as good as if you keep it in a lower energy, cooler temperature, lower light, blue light, high nutrient environment? No way. Yeah. No freaking way. You know, and I know you, you might get away with it for a year or two, but man, how many people do you know have had a trekkie most of their reef keeping career? Not a whole lot. Right? How many people do you know have had a blast of Musa Wells Eye for years and years and years so much that they have to frag it out and give it away? You know, because, yeah, I mean, my euphilia tank is just so much easier. I have a tank full of euphilia. I can even smush some uh, galaxies in there. Yeah, it's, that, that, that tank in itself, um, I, I wish I didn't have so many issues. Uh, I don't have issues growing euphilias, but I, I just, they sting the crap out of me. I don't know what it is about my skin type or whatever that uh, I just kind of had to abandon ship on those guys. But looking at this tank, my gosh, it's just gorgeous. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a very fair point, right? Is that um, there's not a lot of good expert advice on there of like, this is the perfect ideal conditions for this coral. We used to think that there was, I mean, I always did. Yeah, yeah, we did. But it's when you have somebody like in your shoes with multiple systems to kind of poke and prod and try things out, it's like, well, how do, how do these, how did they come to that conclusion, right? Mm -hmm. um, Alveopora, like looking at it from some of your SBS systems where you've got some of it of the same and seeing that in, and I know we're, we don't have video, hopefully, you know, we superimpose it, um, but seeing it in this low light tank of yours, it's such, it was a completely different coral to me. I thought it was a different coral. Transformed. Yeah. Um. I think one perfect case study is um, the Starmint Colastria that I've had for 20 years. You know, uh, it looks the best in lower light. Mm -hmm. It's got the greenest mouth, the fluffiest polyps, and the brightest green stripes. But in the higher light kind of mixed reef tank, it grows way faster. Like way faster. It's not even close. Yeah, so mine... I mean, we've, we've passed it amongst each other for a very long time. You still have the Starmint? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, uh, um, but I have huge, the, the, the brown with the white stripe piece is usually real fleshy and huge, and the green center is very small. Mm -hmm. And one thing I notice in your systems is the, the center greens, which is really the pretty part, is much bigger. Um, but then when you started talking about the differences, I had to kind of prop my head up and look at this thing, because I'm like, well, I bet you have an example of how it grows in my tank because you have it in so many different systems, right? Yeah. Um, no, I, that's one coral that's very strange that I have seen in like standing depth water and I've also seen it at 100 feet. And in uh, standing depth, it looks like a moon coral. Super dense, tons of coral lights, big old colony. But the pieces that we're familiar with are bigger polyps, larger coral lights, more color, more tissue. Right, so if you had, let's say, a four inch piece in lower light, you might have 10, 10 polyps, and a four inch piece in higher light, you might have 30. Yeah. You know, but so you, you, you take that um, uh, kind of like that virtual experience um, across multiple different systems, and you really start to define 
the boundaries of some of these corals. And that's, that's why I have, an LPS, I have two LPS tanks, two or three acro systems, one dedicated euphilia tank, and put some soft corals where I can. <laughs> yeah, that and I, I love the fact that, you know, in this age of hot corals, you have so many, I almost want to call them legacy corals yeah. around. Even just well, if we're talking simple hydnophora or, you know, I mean, obviously in the video we talked about the Blue Ridge coral, the pipe organs, the yellow parietes. I mean, these are classics, right? But um, I love that they have a place in this space and yeah. that they're growing and they're thriving and not forgotten, I guess. I don't know. No, I mean, to me, the rarest coral is the one that is in the peak of health. Yeah. You take almost any coral, right? Like just, all right, let's talk about the Christmas Favia, right? Uh, red center uh, coralites, you know, bordered in green. You can see that in a variety of different tanks. Yeah. And it might be brown, might be pale, might be washed out, might be only colorful at the edges. But when you get a big piece that is just solid red and green, you don't need an orange filter. No. <laughs> you don't need to boost the saturation. You know, so any coral in the peak of health, that is the rare coral. Not whatever some, you know, trend maker says it is. Yeah. Right? Like, I'll, I'll put my, I don't know, I'm trying to think of some acros. I mean, I'll take a flawless looking uh, PC rainbow acro against any, you know, uh, of these crazy colored tenuous. Don't get me wrong, when you zoom in, you see all kinds of crazy colors, but from across the room, you're gonna point out the PC rainbow way before you'll point out um, a tenuous. And you can multiply that over and over and over across a tenuous Oregon blue torx. Again, it's, it's interesting. There's so many reefers that have pieces of all these corals, but they, they're almost like part of a club. Like they have a frag of it, but they haven't, or even a colony, but they haven't really like got it dialed in. Yeah. That's the real fun and the challenge of SPS. That's like the next dimension. Can you keep it alive? Okay. Can you grow it? Okay. Now can you grow it at a reasonable pace and have like crazy colors from the base to the branches to the tips to the polyps? That is the pinnacle of, of SPS keeping at least. And you know what, zoanthid people tell you the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. Chalice coral pe people, right? Certain chalice corals, yeah, you'll, you'll grow it, you'll keep it, you'll know it's kind of an orangish echinophilia. Um, but when you dial that coral in, and it's fleshy and it's puffy and you know, you're getting that definition around the mouth and the core light, man, that thing glows just as much as anything else. Yeah, and I feel like in a lot of other hobbies, the, the, the hobby trade has to argue harder for what the potential of a particular strain is. If we're talking plants, if we're talking just, just I don't know, other, other you know, I mean, uh, I've seen this with um, orchid keepers and stuff, right? And it's like, look, I know what you're seeing right now is not much to look at, but the potential of this thing. Mm -hmm. And so you're chasing the potential, whereas hopefully we sort of mature into that state, because right now it seems like the discussion is not about the potential. It's just how much that polyp looks on that little frag plug on my frag rack. And it's yeah. like... And you brought it up. Some of these corals look amazing. Or, I mean, I think you attributed this to Vincent, right? Um, some of these things as tiny frags look amazing, but a mother colony looks not so amazing, right? Mm -hmm. 
Um, mm -hmm. So there, I mean, there, there's a bit of that of, 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 you know, we're not chasing the potential of corals as much as we are looking for that instant gratification. But hopefully we, like other hobbies, evolve back into that situation. I don't know. Um, I, I feel like one great example would be woodworking. Yeah. Right? If you took 10 craftsmen, carpenters, you gave them the exact same machine cut uh, logs or, or pieces of wood, and they have exact instructions to build, let's just say, a chair. Yeah. You look at those 10 chairs, they are not going to be identical. They're just not, right? The, 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 the attention to detail on the joining, the sanding, the finishing, the chamfering, you know, the little flourishes and details, you give the same exact pre-cut pieces to 10 carpenters, they're going to build 10 chairs, and one of those chairs you're going to love the most based on how they stain it, that's finish it, it, all that stuff, right? So I feel like that's, that's a, incredibly lacking. Well, you, so you've been a rainbow fish discus freshwater keeper. Same idea. Baby rainbows and baby discus don't look that great, but you're buying into the mm -hmm. adult form and yep. you're going to grow the crap out. And rainbows take forever to not grow Not that out. long, not that long. I don't know, some of them, but okay, yeah, sure. Compared to growing rock? Yeah. You're talking about a year for some color, two years for like That's what I say. Maturity. Some of them are about two years before yeah. they And then really three years peak maturity, but then you're looking at a you know, peak mature male, you know, melanotinia. But uh, some of those fish. are doo-doo brownish beige for like a whole 12 to 18 months, and then they finally color up, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but you're buying into the potential, and you're going to put the effort into get them, getting them there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I... I think we talked about, I have a friend who is not a reef keeper. He would never listen to reef therapy, but he is an African cichlid guy. And, you know, he's all about the ad conning's books and all that. But he wanted a reef aquarium because he always comes over to my house and he's like, I love this. It's beautiful. But he just never got into the, the nerdy side of it, right? Mm -hmm. He just wanted to keep it. He's like, he'll, he'll talk your ear off about Tanganyika. But, and I threw in a bunch of green slimer, a bunch of Cali tort, because uh, he thought the SBS corals, the acropores, were really cool. And, uh, and I just kind of forgot about it. And then several years later, he just had a birthday party for one of his kids, and I show up. And this tank, I mean, he was, he, he was diligent about the upkeep and the maintenance, but not posting on the forums, not reading books. Like, he's all about his African cichlids, right? This was just... And this tank is overgrown with tort and green slimer. I mean, we're talking little islands of, you know, like dead skeleton at the surface. It just grew everywhere. And it was the most magical thing I'd ever seen. Yeah. And, I, and you know, my wife's like, hey, there's a party going on. You know, we should mingle. We should go into the kitchen. I was like, I can't. I got to sit in front of this thing for a while. <laughs> and he didn't give two craps about, you know, what he didn't even even know what the blue coral was anymore. You know, the Cali or a Cali tort. Um, but it just cracked me up of like that whole... When these things grow beyond the frag stage and really just grow, man, there's just something special about it that people, I think, not all people, uh, but, but, you know, people are, are not realizing yet. Or well, you know, I'm not going to make any friends with this statement. <laughs> I've prefaced a few statements in the past like this before, but men, men think that if they target numbers and hit metrics that they should achieve the results, 
you know, that maybe that's why they have a predilection for being mechanics and machinists and engineers. But if there were more women in all aspects of the hobby, freshwater, saltwater, and especially reef, they, would, they wouldn't look at the numbers as much. They wouldn't put as much weight on the numbers. They would observe the coral. Like, they have just, I don't know if it's a, a cultural gender difference, right? I'm not trying to get I into know. politics and get myself in trouble. I know, I, I, there's things I wanna say without getting into trouble, but. But it, I, I have walked into reef stores and, and noticed a je ne sais quoi, and I was like, is there a female owner of the store? Yeah. Is there a female manager of the store? Because you can just tell, like, to certain flourishes that a, a man wouldn't put on a reef well, store. I've noticed it as well. I've, I've, I don't want to stereotype, but women reef keepers are good at, at, Gender, at gardening cultural difference, a beautiful right? We're not tank. talking about... We're not talking about inherent differences. We're talking no. about gender cultural differences. Maybe it's a maternal, like I've always thought, I wonder if it's like a maternal thing that they're more just looking into those subtle cues better. I don't know. I mean, and again, I don't want to stereotype, right? But it's, I, I hear exactly what I, you're and saying. The, the, the more we talk about this, the more we're likely to stick our foot yeah. in our mouths. So <laughs> with that, We've, 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 we've uh, you know, stated our opinion well, we'll on that. We'll put it this way. Like, I, I'm glad that there's a lot of women in reef keepers, reef keeping today mm. than there was, say, 20 years ago. And I hope that trend continues because... You mean some versus none? Yeah. <laughs> and to your point, I mean, I, I'll stereotype it. I can be flacked for it. I think women have something like they're, that they're just, they're in tune to something. Yeah. All right. Before we get in trouble on that Yeah, <laughs> that I'll stop. Topic, I'll stop. Let's talk about something manly. <laughs> How did you like seeing a variety of different reef equipment on these tanks? For me, I mean, I'm, I'm like most reef builders viewers. Um, I, uh, I don't have, you know, I don't tinker with a lot of different equipment. So when I'm looking for a new skimmer, if I'm looking at lights, I'm going to go to reef builders, right? I'm going to see what you have to say about it. Uh, part of it because I feel like you're a trusted source. The other part is, uh, I, 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 as a friend, and I've known you for many years, I trust your opinion on a lot of things. I'll go on the forums, this and that. But just walking around here, you had like every example of skimmer that I've been curious about. Even aquariums. I've never seen a Cade aquarium in person, right? Just to be able to open up the doors and look underneath the hood and just pick it apart was fascinating to me. Um, the innovative marine tanks. I mean, I think I've told you this probably too many times. You're probably annoyed with me. Like, uh, there's a, a four-foot dimension size tank that you have of theirs that I'm like, man, that is like to me the perfect size reef tank for somebody that just wants to have two lights on top and call it a day. Um, so yeah, I, I'm kind of on that journey of like I need to buy some equipment again because I've just fired up a new tank. Um, and it was just great to just get hands-on with everything, yeah. you know? Um, you seeing know, it's, when you go to the reef shows, it's probably what you were about to say. When you go yeah. to reef shows, you see glass box after glass box after glass box on a stand, and you're just like, eh, okay, kind of looks like what I've seen before. But it's not until I had a, I mean, I've had Red Seas, but not until I had a water box, a Pro Clear, Innovative Marine, Nuvos, and the Cade, that you start to really appreciate some of the nuances. Yeah. You know, when people are looking for like a high-end tank, they're almost always just talking Red Sea or Waterbox, you know? But Innovative Marine is probably one of the most underrated tanks, right? They don't make giant tanks. They're probably more known for their all-in-ones. Yeah. But the Nouveau EXT series, freaking awesome. The Pro Clear tanks, 
freaking awesome with their metal frame stands. Um, the really good value too. The Cade, um, the Cade is obviously you know kind of getting some momentum, but when you see them all side by side by side, you're like, you know, at the end of the day, uh, they kind of all hold water. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they all hold water. They all have a, they all have the level of fit and finish that we could only dream of 10 to 15 years ago, right? So now we're we're literally splitting hairs between these four or five brands. <laughs> but well, yeah, I mean. If you rewind the clock 15 years, we're literally talking like perfecto and all glass. Yeah, maybe, I mean, maybe oceanic. We we talked about when you uh, when we we um, gravitated towards your Altum Angel tank, it brought brought up that childhood memory of uh, living in America and having these 12 inch deep narrow wall based tanks, 55 gallons, right? 75 was like ooh. Um, and then I went to Europe and I saw you know I went into pet shops in Denmark and in the Netherlands and. And I remember just being a kid and going, like, these tanks are deep, you know? But to your point, yeah, I mean, we are so, things are so good for us in this hobby now. But the other thing, too, is um, you get on the forums, it's like, what's the best light? What's the best, best, best light? What's the best, best, best skimmer? And then you walk into this studio, and you have aquariums lit by every light on the market, every skimmer on the market, and they're all drop-dead gorgeous. So who gives a crap what the best is? You know, I, I like mean, they all, you can achieve a great reef tank with all of them. That, that's really what I was trying to achieve here at the studio. Yeah. Is demonstrate that, okay, there's a baseline. There's a, there's a floor. Sure, yeah. But it, whether you have Nero's or Vortex or Tunzi's, like you're going to get the flow. Whether you have a Max Pact, a Radeon, a Kessel, a Hydra, an Acro Optics, an Aquamax. An ill magic, if they're if they're if, if they're selected for the right application and and tuned for your application, it's going to be amazing, right? When you look at all these tanks and you look at all the light all the tanks without looking at the lighting, you're like, oh yeah, everything's fine. Yeah, and if your tank sucks, maybe it's not the equipment, you know? Yeah. I mean, not to be a jerk about it, but um, you will not find two more avid metal halide enthusiasts yeah. than you and me. And there's not a single metal halide lighting a single tank in here. One metal halide lit tank is equal to three LED lit tanks. Right. And I, I mean, early on, I just developed a distaste for replacing lamps, right? Because you have this drop-off curve. And it's, it's like internal combustion engines. Like, obviously, they're super, they're all around now. But you can see a future where, like, they're only going to be in old classic vintage cars. And so having... LEDs, lights that are programmable, controllable, multi-spectrum, uh, so very low heat, super efficient. Like, I could see myself, you know, just like revisiting our, our, our heydays of Iwasaki 65K with Paul Start ballots and a giant oh. <laughs> uh, Luminarc reflector. And, but, you know, for, for nostalgia's sake, but it wouldn't necessarily achieve crazy better results than um, the right LED lights today. And it would certainly, certainly cost a lot more to run and it would produce so much more heat. And I was a late adopter, partly because... So I was, says the guy who had Mazras. Well, <laughs> but I, I abandoned ship after that, right? And part of that was that um, I was coming in with a large tank dimension size, right? A six-foot tank. And... Um, to properly light a tank back then, you, you, did, you did have to spend some coin, right, with LEDs. So I would revert back to the 
at the time, the more affordable options like T5 metal halides. But I remember when I built my 225, I was like, I'm going full metal halide. I did it for six months and the heat, it, it was like in your mind, the nostalgia is great, right? But then when you execute on it again, you're going, ah, you know, it's like being in your 40s and thinking you can relive your 20s. And then you go out there and you're like, you know what, I just want to go home, <laughs> you know? Not to and that's mention, what happened to me with metal halides. I was like, this sucks. Not to mention having a lighting fixture over your tank that is at least 12 inches deep, like yeah. 24 by 24. Like yeah, I had this big old, and then I went to T5s for a while, you know, and then I remember calling you up. I was like, you know, because I hate T5s. I hate that flat look, right? And then we talked and I ended up back in the LED realm and, and now I, I'm not coming back uh, out of it. But yeah, I... I get a lot of those guys that have that nostalgia or maybe still running it, but there's so many options, the LED. If you can't find one that makes you happy, then the, it's not the lights, it's you. I mean, I'm looking around here and if you can't find a single LED fixture that just, you know, checks all the boxes for you, then maybe you, maybe you're, you need to reevaluate what your boxes are, right? If I had to define the air quote, best LED light fixture, it would be a previous gen LED, right? Because you can buy it secondhand. You, there's a lot of information on how to use it. Um, it's gonna be cheaper, and it's gonna be probably used for like a couple years. Yeah, because people are on that upgrade path. Right? Yeah, yeah, you know, the power supply will be broken in, the fan has been <laughs> you know, tested and proven to work. Um, you're not gonna be overwhelmed with power and, and choices and features. But yeah, best LED light, it's last, last generation's LED light, as far as best. If you want the highest performance or the best value, then it kind of you know, splits off and goes in a different direction. But if you just want like a blanket best, I mean, the, the Radeon Gen 5 is an incredible light, and I know a lot of reefers who just have, don't want to give up the Gen 4s. <laughs> and I'm part of that crowd, you know? I'm gonna go half and half. So yeah. I'll keep some Gen 4s around. I might even mix and max mix and match Gen 4s and Gen 5s when I finally get around to the 400. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, that, that sh I think I said it before, that ship has sailed for me. I'm, um, the Kessels that I ended up with, uh, to me, it's like I have halides again, you know? And, and I know, well, I get it. And I get the sticklers are gonna say, beam forming versus point source light and a parabolic reflect. I get it, I get it. I'm just, I, I, I'm taking the non-sciencey, I'm sitting on the couch drinking a beer, staring at my tank staring attitude. Staring at your tank. And if you're staring at, I'm looking at it, your, your mangrove tank right now. If I'm staring at that tank, drinking a beer, like to me, that reminds me of those days. Yeah. It's, it's got a nostalgic, vibe to it that I missed. I am actually, when it comes to the A500X, I am super excited to see people making their own reflectors. Yeah. I want to see somebody pop an A500X into a metal halide reflector, right? Because the native beam angle is 120 degrees. So if you pop that into even a small metal halide reflector, of course you're going to have better spread than the, you know, very efficient, but uh, admittedly small, two-inch little uh, yeah. clip-on reflector lens thingies that they have to date. You know, I actually experimented making some with doggy balls, mixed <laughs> results, um, but it was actually kind of uh, um, blocking the air intake at the bottom. But I don't see any reason why somebody couldn't like just make a little cutout in the, in the top of a 
typical metal halide reflector, stick the A500X in there, and then I don't think you could tell the difference. I really well, don't. And I mean, maybe, maybe this will uh, piss off all the metal halide people, but I found the huge luminarc reflectors annoying. So I was the one that eventually graduated to double-ended bulbs in tiny aquametic and Giesemann fixtures, right? Because I like the clean look of the fixture. I like the simplicity of the cords. I like the little UFO hanging above my tank, right? Um, it didn't look like I was trying to grow a bunch of weed. Yeah, know? yeah. Um, I mean, there's something and, to be f said and how fun that was once upon a time. Yeah. But, but a clean. bunch of Luminarc reflectors or, uh, I mean, like the double-ended halides didn't have the best reflectors either, man, but they grew the crap out of corals. Yeah. And, and so maybe that's my disclaimer is when I sit in front of a Kessel A500, it reminds me of me running double-ended halides, Absolutely. right? Um, you don't need, I, I get that the, the bigger the reflector, the better for a point source light, yeah. but... But yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, and it's funny that I've heard people complain that the higher you mount them, the less the glimmer is, which I don't quite see that because yours is way up there. But, it, but one of the arguments against the Kessel was that it has too much glimmer and that makes it not feel like a halide. Um, so so I, I don't know like what, what the argument there is. But I mean, I'm, I'm very happy with them. Um, but I was also happy with the AIs. Um, I don't have an experience with Ecotech, but I don't think I need to. I mean, those, those lights have proven themselves through yeah. and through, right? I don't think anybody's gonna argue whether Ecotech is a successful LED light. Um, Did you, you notice, I know we've talked a little about lights for a little while, yeah, so yeah. maybe we could talk about some of those. Did you notice how little rock is in each tank? Yes. There's just enough rock to hold up the coral. Meanwhile, the coral flats have zero rock unless it's like a giant coral, like totally encrusted on a, on a base. Well, and I mean, I, again, I'm probably being a broken record because we had, we, we had a tour video earlier, but um, I've had bare bottom tanks and I do like my sense of substrate, but being surrounded by all these bare bottom tanks, it took me a while to actually key in. Oh yeah, I mean, obviously we've talked about it, but I just didn't think about it for two seconds um, looking at these tanks because the way that you have them aquascaped I feel like the, the bottom of the tank is part of that reef as well. It's yeah. part of your rock work in a way. All right, listen, I've been diving on a lot of reefs. I'm not trying to flex, but there's certain corals you find around sand, okay? Uh, Scalenia, no. <laughs> Trichophilia, yes. Goniopora, yes. Everything else, not so much. Yeah. There's a, few, you know, a long technical plate, elegance coral. Uh, certain fungias, but oh, sorry, certain cycloceras will be found on sand, but uh, fungias I always saw diving. They were always just fungias are always in the rock. reef. Yeah, when, when you go diving, you don't look for sand. That's a sand no. zone. That's a yeah. totally different habitat. That's where seagrasses grow. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and that's where you have like uh, razor grasses and, and gobies and stuff. And uh, when what you're do you looking call for the, the most uh, diversity, garden eels and stuff. Yep, garden eels. When you're looking for the most diversity, you're looking for the rock out on the reef. You're not looking for the sand. That's a good point, yeah. I had always tripped me up how delicate I was with my fungias, worried about tissue damage and then recession. And then you go diving and they're just, it's like somebody just threw a bunch. <laughs> it's like somebody this. took a basket of fungias and just dumped them overboard. Yeah, I dropped some frisbees over the boat, you know, and they're just wedged in rocks in weird places. And they're it's they're like, like <laughs> pointed upwards yeah. and upside down and on top of each other and like overlapping. <laughs> 
Um, but that's fungius. Yes. That's not cycloceris. Like True. almost all the colorful disc corals being sold today, like good solid 95% plus are cycloceris. Those guys are actually almost always in sand. All right, so what about Herpolitha? I've never seen those diving. Where do you see those guys? Um, We're talking about tongue corals, the elongated I would, I would, I would say mixed. Yeah. I would say those guys are kind of mixed. And some of those corals, you're going to find them at the transition mm. from the reef to the sand. Interesting. Polyphilia, you know, slipper coral, always in the sand. Really? But um, long tentacle plates, they're, not, they're usually attached to the reef or in rock. Really? You see them all the time. You're like, is that a torch coral? No, that's a long tentacle plate. That's another one that they always warn you about. Like, if you nick it or something against a rock, it's just going to recede and die on you. It's, it's weird how super common they are out in the wild. And it's reflected in the supply in the aquarium trade. And that's one coral I've kept. I was about to say, I don't think I saw one in here. That's one coral I've kept at stores that I worked at. And I've never really wanted to keep one myself. Because if you do get it happy, I mean, you're talking about a 14-inch diameter coral, mm. right? In the wild, you might find gorilla crabs in them. You might find uh, commensal shrimp. You might find some long tentacle plate pipefish in them. Like they're, they're, like they're their whole ecosystem unto themselves. Do you, um, maybe they're still around, so I won't say anything uh, that'll get me in trouble. Exotic Aquatics in Boulder? Yeah. Are they still around? Yeah. Okay. So back when I was in college in Boulder in the uh, 90s, um, I, uh, I remember going in there and they had, um, I, I would say that their reef displays, or sorry, their reef, their corals for sale weren't all that back in the day, right? But it was, um, but they had a display tank right by the front door and I think it was like a 90 gallon. And they had a heliofungia that was just massive. And they also had a Goni Opera that was just thriving, which threw me for a loop because back then Goni Operas were, you know, uh, not easy to keep. And that was the first place I ever saw Bangai Cardinals. I think they had some pajama cardinals mixed in there too. But that Heliofungia was exactly what you said. It was like eventually that thing was going to take over the whole tank. Yeah. And that's the only time I've really seen a healthy, growing, taken over the tank Heliofungia. I don't. I mean, the more we talk about it, like, I'm trying to think of other people that have kept Dude, them long-term. if you term. go into fish stores and if you go to wholesalers, they, they will never not have Heliofungia actiniformis, long tentacle plate. If you go to reefer after reefer after reefer's house, <laughs> you, will, you will almost never see yeah. a long tentacle plate kept long-term. I know we had those troubles with flower pots in the, in the past. Yeah. Obviously, we've somehow mysteriously gotten past that. Um, elegance corals, they were hardy, and then they weren't, and now they're hardy again, and people are fragging them up. <laughs> That's such a trip. It's, it's so bizarre, and we, yeah. don't, and we still don't know why. We yeah. don't have really good answers. But long tentacle plates, I mean, unless you're Julian Sprung and really paying attention to, you know what, we're going we're gonna to mention Julian Sprung every session. We just we have should. to. <laughs> That's going to be our calling card. Unless you're someone like him really paying attention to the details and the care requirements of that exact coral and keeping it super happy and making sure to get a very healthy specimen to start. He should put a heliofungia in his little patio pond. Maybe he already has. Maybe he already has. Yeah, he probably already <laughs> has. But I saw those pictures with the uh, urchins and the bang guys. Um, but that would be a perfect, perfect little place to put one of those. Yeah, you know, um, but you, you'll see here in the studio, you'll see some... Uh, I guess cutting edge corals. I don't. I don't know. What to, I don't want to call them limited edition or premium because no. But a, you like I what's said, what's a you premium got, coral anyway? 
What I don't, I mean, it's There's no just, such thing as a premium coral. It's the coral that has the 15 minutes of fame, right? Um, but I'm looking at all these other corals that you have that are just classics. And uh, they're way cooler. I mean, a Blue Ridge coral from a, if you're a biology kind of nerd that looks at corals and looks at their physiology and everything else, a Blue Ridge coral is kind of a whack coral, you know? Uh, yes. I'm so glad they described a second species. Cause again, when you go diving, it's a majestic coral, man. That mm -hmm. thing could be like two feet wide and three feet high. Yeah. Just, just, just living it up with the uh, Acropora humulus and just the highest energy zone possible of any coral. I'll tell you a coral that um, you got me excited about because I'm a plate coral nerd. I love fungus. I like cyclos, herpeletha, heliofungus. That's my bag. And you got me into Halimitra. And I remember Reefer Madness had one for sale and I bought it. And that was exactly like the way you described heliofungia. That thing took over my tank. It just turned into this massive weird thing and I had to get rid of it because it just... Oh man, Halimitra is one of those weird catch-22s. Um, if you're not familiar with Halimitra, um, imagine a fungia with, with multiple mouths. mouths. <laughs> um, the mouths are usually white. Mm -hmm. The body is usually green to, to yellow. Rim with a bright pink to purple rim, yep. right? And so when you frag that up, it's gonna do that anyway, right? I so should have fragged it. You I didn't even try. It. Dude, so Halimitra's on my list. I haven't, because there's so much focus right now on hype corals. Yeah. I swear, man, some importers are literally bringing in 60% uh, Acropora tenuous, 30% uh, uh, torch corals, and like 10% everything else. It's like this homogenization. It's commoditized. The corals have gotten commoditized. It's no wonder all the tanks look the same. So yes, a lot of tanks are looking the same. Even acro tanks, even great acro tanks are filled with cespitose and pillows, pillow-shaped acros. I was like, oh, you got a latostella and a microclados and a tenuous and a millipora? Well, where's your staghorns or where's your tables or where's your digitates? You know, like, it, it, everything has become so commoditized that, man, I have to set a very wide search to find Marilina. I have not seen a good orange t herpolitha tongue coral. You I, sent me one. I sent you one. <laughs> <laughs> you and uh, Vincent both sent me one. I lost one because of the uh, bacteria, which now the, the acronym always escapes me, the, the Caribbean LPS killer that's happening right now that I brought in with mud and aquabiomics mm -hmm. stony, stony SCTL? coral tissue stony coral tissue loss disease SCTL STCLD yes. <laughs> it killed a, a favia that I grew from one frag from uh, a lady that you and I both uh, briefly knew from one of the Atlanta things she had like a Great Dane do you mm -hmm. remember her she Vaguely. has a, a nice radium lit tank uh, I lost that. I grew that from one frag, and then I grew. I lost one of the herpelithas, but I still have the other one. So I'm a little bit of a reef snob because I did see an orange tongue coral available about three weeks ago at one of the reef it? shows. It was too skinny. Uh, it was like seven inches long and one inch wide. I'm like, I love orange tongue corals, but that one's too long. <laughs> but that's um, that that coral represents the sense of community for me because you and Vincent both knew how much I love that coral. And, uh, you know, I briefly hosted Vincent at my house. I barely knew who he was. I didn't know who he was. You just said, a Frenchman's coming to the airport. He's going to come stay at your house. And I was like, all right. <laughs> uh, and then we had a great time at Fort Lauderdale Magna together. And I just briefly mentioned to the guy that I just have been on the hunt for an orange herpelitha. And he's like, 
oh really, like I see them all the time in Bali. And then all of a sudden, like several months later, Unique Corals called me up and said, hey, we have a uh, gift package from Vincent for you. <laughs> we just need to confirm that you'll be home to receive it. And it was an orange herpelitha. And then you sent me one, and then I just felt like I'm just swimming in fortune. You know? like t- my favorite coral, I got two from two good friends that I, I, I became friends with because of this hobby. And that's, that made the coral twice as valuable to me. You know? so. so yeah, I'm going to look out for some orange tongue coral. Hell, I'll even take some green tongue coral. Yeah. I want some slipper coral, you know, polyphilia. Just, just token, just token yeah. different groups of, of fungids. Um, but halomitra, that is high on my list. Next time, I hal- next time I see a halomitra, I don't even care what the price is. I might, I might haggle a little bit, but I am going to buy it. I'm going to leave with it. I'm still on the hunt for the orange and green plate coral that you had a, in, back in your Columbia days. Yeah, that, so I've been on the hunt for that, and every once in a while I'll see one, and it's just the price on it is just so prohibitive that I can't go for it. Yeah, so when I got this one that I have here that you yeah, saw in the Cade tank, I, saw it. I, I thought about you so in. hard. I have to give props to Cali Kid Corals because they hooked it up, and you know, it, it, it had a sticker price on it. I would have been willing to pay it, but the the, the inherent value to that, of that coral to me was just off the roof, off the, through the roof, you know? Yeah. Every time I see that coral, bro, I'm not even kidding, I think about you. Oh, because, I I, you know, that. I had one literally 20 years ago. That thing was... I bought it as a rescue. It was orange with clear patches. And over a period of a couple of years, it just turned into like the most sensational green like cycloceros with crazy green splotches all throughout. And if you're a plate, like I said, I'm a fungid cyclo. I love plate corals. So to see that thing was just a what the heck moment, you know? Yeah. Um, and it forever, I have those pictures on my computer. I mean, I, and I look at them at least once a year. Like that, that is another, I just, I can't. I mean, we talk about the, um, the hype thing and the trade and the prices of corals these days, and we've covered that in Retherapy, and there's part of me that just wants to fight back, not protest, not, you know, not... Resist! Yeah, I, I, I'm not trying to start a revolution. I just, on a personal level, I'm like, I can't do it. I can't, I can't go into the $400, $500 range, you know? Um, we've both been... speaking, I mean... We've both been reefing long enough to ride out these bubbles. Right, so right now I'm using the torch coral acropora tenuous fixation yeah. to try to scoop up any coral that isn't that, right? Like a turbinaria is just an awesome coral. Yeah. I mean, it's not Instagrammable, but it, when you look at it in real life, it's just so fleshy and you got thin types that grow like awesome. You got thick types with super fat polyps. And yeah, you know, no one is fighting for turbinaria strains no. right now. And they're such great corals. Oh my gosh. You that, want to know something funny, man? So that neon green turbinaria reniformis, I got that, I think, back in 2013, visiting uh, Raj and My Reef Creations oh, in Atlanta. Yeah. yeah. And I kicked around that frag for five to six years before I really started growing it. I have a superpower of not killing corals. That doesn't mean I grow them. They just hang out with you. They just hang out and kind of sit there and look at me and then eventually I get my act together or I put them in the right spot and all of a sudden they're like, okay, I'm good, I'm happy now. I'm gonna grow for real. So one area that I, 
I won't wait it out anymore on is um, fish because think about the coral trade is anybody can frag it and, and, and increase its population density in the trade, right? But when it comes to fish, that's not the case unless we're talking like clownfish. And I'll say one of my biggest regrets in life was uh, when Frank Bench was, and am I saying his last name right? I hope so. Close enough. Um, when, when Live Aquaria has $600 resplendent angels for sale, and I was like, ah, you know what? In five years, they'll be cheaper. And then he stopped breeding them. And, and that, I mean, ever since, I think it was an Aquarium Fish magazine, Charles Delbeek did a bunch of articles about uh, reef aquariums in Aquarium Fish magazine's early 90s. And he covered, name drop again, Jillian Sprung's 15-gallon tank. And there was a resplendent angel swimming around in it. And I'm like, what is that? And, and so it, all of a sudden, it just became on my radar for the rest of my life. I regret not buying that fish when he was breeding them. And I hope one day somebody picks up that torch. Well, I mean, that's why I have a pair of African flamebacks. I'm, I'm tr actively trying to get my hands on some Brazilian flamebacks, yeah. or also known as Brazi complex is the Brazilian awesome. fireballs. Um, you know, that's kind of my stand-in. They're not quite as yellow. Like the Brazilian one has a little bit more yellow in the top compared to the African, which is a little bit more orange. But the Uifipops, I think that's how you pronounce the subgenus. They're just awesome fish, man. Almost to a fault. Like a, so I have two pygmy uh, African flamebacks, uh, angelfish, <laughs> on a six-foot tank. Dude, they will go after fish twice their size. Like they practically are the most aggressive fish in that entire tank. I have a trigger fish, I have a yellow tang, a spot yeah, it's clown a, fish. It's not a peaceful community. Uh, you know, a big old tinker eye angelfish and a big old black tang. And the, the fish I have to look out for is the pair of a canthops. butterfly. What did I say? Angelfish? Yeah, yeah, tinker eye <laughs> butterfly. Looks like no. he's ready to go to sleep. Um, have you ever seen these two spawn? At night? Like to be honest, ship? I can't say I have. Okay, because they seem like they're like a, a match made in heaven, size-wise and everything. Funny thing is, the fish tank is the only one that is not on a regular timer. Ah. That is the only light in the entire studio that I manually turn on and off every day. And now that you said it, I'm just like, oh yeah, I should put a timer on there so the acanthops know when it's time to put a, get down. Put one of those Voss and larval collectors in there and yep. see what happens. Yeah. No, as soon as you said it, I was like, oh, irregular lighting period. They have no idea when it's going to be nighttime. I might turn the light off at 4 or 5 when it's still light out here. I might turn off the light at 10 when it's totally dark out here. It, did, it didn't even cross my brain until this new tank build that I could have a pair of centropied, right? So I just paired up my flame angel, and, and, and the minute I did it, and uh, I'm watching them interact, and things are working out pretty good, I, I sat there, I'm like, why didn't I do this sooner? Yeah. Why did I always sit around and live with like one pygmy angel in my reef aquarium? And I know mm -hmm. you don't keep pygmies in your reefs. Uh, we've talked about that. I'm a little more... Like, Cavalier. Well, yeah, you know, if I can't keep coral X because of that angel, I'll just, you know, strike that coral from the list. That's, I love angels so much, though, you know. Me so. too. I do love angelfish so much. I'm, as you saw in the quarantine system, I'm, yeah, that's I've got, one even I wouldn't try in a reef. Uh, I've got a flame angel, which Not I that, did yeah. try in this reef tank. Yeah, um, and it picked up three things, and within days, I just instead of like messing around, I literally drained the tank down to the bottom, <laughs> grabbed the fish, refilled the tank. I have a big old trough specifically for that. 
Um, but I'm kind of really curious. I, I would like to build up a harem of Ibelai angelfish and Indian Ocean lemon peels because yeah. that's what creates the tiger pie And I think that would be super fun. But so I'm, I'm going to experiment because, you know, we don't have that much experience keeping like super large fleshy flower pot corals. But as long as I've been doing this, man, I don't, I can't really remember instances of people complaining about angelfish picking on their flower pots. No, I mean. Uh, so I'd like to try a flower pot tank yeah. with pygmy angels, just to see. What about the euphilia tank? You don't think they'd be fair game in there? Mm, the only thing about the euphilia tank is I keep it kind of dimmer and bluer and uh -huh. the fish wouldn't shine. Uh, but that'd be the perfect tank for a multi, perfect tank for a multicolor angel. Uh, keep it nice and dim, don't let them brown out. Keep we'll see. White. We'll see. So we took a, a long look at my three-foot euphilia tank. Yeah. And kind of getting back to the beginning of this session of reef therapy, um, I've already had to pull out some of my 20-year-old branching hammer. So uh, you see two huge colonies in there. There's three more giant chunks over in the coral <laughs> tables. And so um, I would like to, after the 400 setup, after the 400 setup, is um, upgrade the euphilia tank to probably a standalone five or six-foot tank and turn the three foot tank into a deep water acro tank. That would be cool. Yes, yes. I, I'm, I might be one of the few people in the hobby who's just like, still has a big swing for the naked, smooth skin, suharsinoids and pichonides and speciosas. Yeah, people don't really talk about them anymore. No, they don't. Dude, them? if you go on Instagram and you check out deep water acro hashtag, yeah. there's a hundred. Really? How is that even possible? Back right when Zeofit, Zeofit hit the scene and people were really obsessed with SBS, I would say Reef Central was still in its heyday back then. Um, there was this obsession with smooth skin acros. I mean, the Red Dragon was sort of the culmination of, and I was always surprised how easy, how much of a weed that coral Dude, is. Dude, Red Dragon is Beautiful, insane. it grows fast. That's one of those corals that looks amazing whether or not you're doing it right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in the worst conditions, it's going to be a rusty red. In, in great conditions, it's going to be a little bit more vivid kind of garnet color with kind I, of bluish lilac growth tips. I may need to nick a frag of that from you because that's one of those non-SPS dominant tank coral acros that you could just throw in and just give it a corner and it'll grow. It'll be beautiful. You just hack it back every once in a while. Almost like a Montipera digitata, right? Like yep. you just kind of keep it in check. Yep. Um, but the other thing that really struck me is you, and, and maybe I'm obsessed with this, uh, but you have these spot synctus and trisynctus clowns like everywhere. <laughs> and, I, and, and I'm sitting here like I've never kept large clown species. And I, I'm, again, I'm probably beating a dead horse. I've talked about this, but you really do have them in a lot of systems. Um, I think I got... A couple from Ore, and I think I got a couple from Sea and Reef. Yeah. And just over time, it's crazy how like the females developed. And I have another female over in the center, you know, the second coral yeah. flat. She's actually my favorite because she has the best shape. She doesn't have any funk going on. The one in the fish tank has a little bit of yeah, flare I mean, gills. He's just he's just a placeholder. He's just there because he doesn't fit anywhere. Like somebody wants to take that guy off my hands. He's gone. He gone. But they're, I mean, I'm going to offend some people. Now that I've spent some time with them in your place, they're way cooler than lightning maroons. I think they're awesome. These lightning, spot mar lightning maroons, man. They, uh, 
None of them. None of them grew up to be their parents. Mm. None of them. None of them grew up. And another thing, I haven't seen any four to five inch snowflake. I'm sorry. What do they call those? Gold nuggets or solid white maroon clowns. Oh yeah. And what's funny is like at the local fish store, they literally have lightning maroons and gold nugget maroons for twenty dollars because no one will buy them because they're so aggressive. Yeah. How weird is that? That it was just like such. Like it was the fish of the decade, at least the first half it of the was, 2010s. Yeah. It was all about lightning runes and they sold for crazy money. And then they got commoditized because they got bred so much. And now no one is in love with them. No. And I remember when the Spot Sinctus came out, I think it was ORA. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, those are, I saw them in a live aquarium. I'm like, well, those are kind of neat. And now I'm spending time here with you and I'm seeing so many examples of them. And I'm like, they're really cool fish. What I like about the Spot Sinctus is they, they still have their stripes. Yeah. And then they have more. Yeah. And they, the, 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 the horizontal stripes literally break up into spots. And it's really like an actual Picasso as far as the diversity of what you're going to get in your Spot Sinctus clownfish. Yeah, it really got me thinking. I need to uh, go down that path one day and, and, and try some of the larger clown species. Um, the other thing is I thought I was the only one that realized convict tangs were cool. I mean, we sort of talked about it on reef therapy, but you have more convict tangs than I've ever seen in one place. I think I have five. <laughs> yeah, and they're, they are such cool fish. They're just fat, and they have not grown in length very much, but they're all super fat. And, you know, when they're super happy, they're just a beautiful silvery white, really bold black stripes, and almost like... Um, not quite orange, but like a light brown suffused coloration yeah. on the top. Really I neat. Saw I saw that in one I, of your guys. I know, but I, I'm dying for a, a zebra tang, a polyzona. Mm. God, I would take it. I would spend real money on some polyzonas, but right now with COVID still affecting yeah. the the freight rates, it's just really hard to get anything out of Mauritius. So I don't think there's been any new polyzonas exported. Such um, a crazy distribution, right? Obviously, polyzone is different than a convict tang, but when you're talking about a fish that's off the coast of Pacific Mexico, and then there's another sort of different colored species of it all the way in Mauritius, you know, it's like that's, that's some hella distribution for yeah. a fish. Really, really weird. So you've, you've, you've really been uh, easy on me. What do you think I sh- am missing from the studio? Be, 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 you know, lay it down. Lay it down. What's missing? Oh, man. What should I do differently? What should I, you know, try out? I mean, I, I, think, um, I think that your tanks are geared towards peak of health corals, right? Um, you are in the business of having as many, way more species of corals than I would ever be. So every inch matters. Um, so... And I know you have a strong advocacy for bare bottom, but with all the skills that you have, even knowing all the downsides of like a sand substrate, I'm not going to call it a sandbag because I don't actually like sand. That, that connotates small micron size. I would love to see you do something like that. <laughs> um, and we brought it up in the large tank, but unfortunately you've got those um, closed loop intakes in the bottom, and I think that would just be a big pain in the butt for you to deal with. Um, that tank because it's going to be such a high flow environment would be so clutch 
for some of the original Two Little Fishies Reborn. Oh yeah, just that Reborn media on the bottom. Since we talked about it a couple days ago, I'm really gonna consider it. Are you? Yeah, no, Evan told me that the, the old, the classic Reborn is back in stock. Ah. So I'll talk to Mr. Mann. I don't want to say his name again because we say his name all the time. <laughs> I'll talk to Mr. Man and I'm just like, hey, you, you have some of that, you know, the coral bones. I have a, like a, a, a quarter bag over there and I have a, a bucket outside of some that I use as like rubble for mounting some coral frags or whatever. But um, that take it would be worth it. I feel yeah, like I that mean, take I would be worth like it. I feel like obviously there's a ton of cons. So you're going into it for the visual aesthetic but you're, you're prepared to take on the battle of all the negatives that come with it. Um, and then, uh, I mean, we briefly talked about aquascaping that, and you're light years ahead of me. I'm, I'm a horrible aquascaper, but for me, I've always been fascinated with how they started cutting the rock. I think, I, I think that's Two Little Fishies product, the Stax rocks, but it's, I, I assume it's Marco rocks that's been cut. But just that you can staircase it and you can decide on the slope, and you can decide on the overhangs. You could do some cool stuff. Um, beyond that, I mean, I don't know what to say. It's like- More, more fish, more small fish, right? Yeah. I, I've kind of locked in my ways where I just have like- That's a good point. A bunch of surgeon fish and just a few like ornamental fish, but I, I, I need to add more little brasses, gobies little gobies. And, yeah. Dude, I have one goby in this entire I mean, you, place. It's a biota. I'm sure there's a mandarin in here somewhere. Oh yeah, there's a pair in there. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I've really grown to love the little fish that dart in and out, yeah. and out of the rocks. And, and um, I, I feel like this word, I gotta stop using it because I've used it a lot in the video earlier, but scale, right? When you have a lot of really large fish, you lose a sense of scale, whereas the small fish really bring it back home. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that's your problem. I just think that uh, you, you, now that you've said it, I, I'll, I'll agree with you. Like, you know, get back into some of those. I'm trying. Fish. I'm. I, yeah. I, I have a bunch of firefish in some yeah. tanks. It's it's hard to like see the small fish from all of the oh, corals. I know. And but I am trying. So I have some tile fish in quarantine. Those are cool. By the um, way. I am trying to get my hands on some possum wrasses. Yeah. Six line wrasses. Four lines, which Screw are unobtainium lines. now. Um, I got my mystery over there. Um, but yeah, I could use some more gobies and blennies and just little, little filler fish to just kind of live in certain holes. No, but I mean, you're, I, there's no, I'm not trying to um, fluff it all up, but, uh, and I'm sure when people watch the video, they like, I'm not very negative. I'm not very critique. I'm just like, oh, this is great. This is great. This is great. But there's just, you know, if you're a hobbyist at home and you're, you're struggling with limited space and you're, you have all these ideas in your head that you just don't, can't execute on, this place is a fun area to walk through because you've done that. You know, you've really explored so many different types of setups. I mean, to do a Euphilia dominant tank, how many people are actually gonna do that, right? Um, yeah. I. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't really have a lot of negative to say. <laughs> well, but you're my homie, and so, you know, I kind of expect that. And I, I, no, it, but, but I'm not, I never, there's nothing I'm holding back either. Yeah, no, I know. Um, More nano tanks. I, have, I go bigger on the fish only. Yeah, you know, again, I have a bigger fish tank in mind, but yeah. I don't want to set anything up until I get that 400 going. I mean, there's, we always talk about, like, the Pomacanthid angels, and to do those right, I mean, I... 
not to change gears on your your big planet aquarium that you're about to set up, but it's you know like that's the kind of tank size you need to, mm -hmm. to do an emperor angel or even a queen angel holocanthus right right that would be kind of cool so man let's let's talk about some fish we've never kept or some corals we've never kept because that's okay. something that came up when you were walking through yeah. so some fish on my wish list that i've always wanted and never had um i've never had an emperor angel i have i've never had a harlequin tusk i have not and it's on my list uh, annularis angel was one of the first i ever had oh, and so those... i'm i'm I, I got the source i got the guy and it's just a matter of time right because when i say i'm going to receive a fish it's not like i'm going to get the fish and just drop it in the tank right right it's going to go through one level of qt then it's going to go into long-term conditioning where you can see his forever home from like 20 feet away so yeah there's there's some of these fish um, I kind of alternate where I'm like, okay, I'm in coral acquisition mode. Okay, now I'm in fish in acquisition mode because they take a certain amount of curation when they first arrive. Um, but uh, I, I do, would, I really want to set up a cold water tank specifically style, for like blue spots. No, not oh. just a, a cold water rocky reef. All I want <laughs> is, is uh, uh, Catalina gobies and blue spot jawfish. Yeah, it could be a small tank, so I don't have to have a massive chiller. True, yeah. Um, but I've had both of those, but I'm like, man, Catalina gobi is one of my favorite, and the only reason I don't keep it is because I recognize that it's subtropical. If I ever, I mean, if I ever built my own house and I could have the largest fish-only system I could imagine, um, I've always wanted to keep a French angel. Really? Yeah. French? I, I mean, every time I've ever dived in the Caribbean, Cozumel, I love those guys. I mean, I love just... them while I'm diving. I'm like, oh my God, you're an amazing fish, but you're also two feet long and two feet high. It'd have to be, <laughs> I mean, a 2,000 gallon, something insane. Like, yeah. like, like that tank Richard Harker used to write about back in the day or something. Um, no, uh, I love queen angels, but yeah, once you've seen a queen angel in the wild, you have a hard time justifying keeping one. Um, but yeah, I, I, that's... To your point, there's a lot of fish I've never kept because they weren't either the best choice for a reef aquarium or they just got too big. You well, know? you know, it's also out of respect. Yeah. Right? Like, I know I could get like a 12, 14 inch whatever angel fish and throw them in my six foot True. fish yeah. tank. And it's just, that's not my style. No, that's, I agree. That's you, just not how I roll. I'm not going to put a queen angel in a 125. Yeah. Right? For long. Um. <laughs> <laughs> for too long. But I mean, you've seen those. I mean, they're, they're huge in yeah. the wild. Um, and we talked about emperor angels, specifically subtropical emperors off the coast of Africa. They're giant giants. I mean, it's like Kong Island down there mm -hmm. where everything is just twice the size that you ever read about. Um, and I remember I had an emperor in a 180 reef tank and it was one of those where he devoured all my zoanthids, all my anthelia, all my xenia. But I loved that fish so much. I was like, cool, all right. Okay. So this is what we're gonna go with now, these corals. Did you grow it from a juvenile? I did. That's what I, I want. Because that was a bucket list of mine. I wanted to get a juvenile and transition it to an adult. That's what I want. And then when he became an adult, he became a terror. He was like a trigger fish. He, like, like a full grown clown trigger. Did he thump? He grunted. He grunted. You yeah. heard him grunt. Oh, yeah. When I, when I would walk up to the tank, you could hear him like, hey, feed me, dude. Feed me. And he would grunt. You could hear it through the glass. That's so funny. But he was a terror. And I had to let him go. But, and around the same time, I went scuba diving down, same place you did, that area. 
down this Durban area, and I also went up to Moe's, and we saw these giant emperors, and I just felt bad knowing I had one in a 180 when I got home. Um, and then I gave them to a friend who had a fish only with live rock, 400 gallon tank, which in my opinion was still too small for that guy, probably yeah. long term, but better than my 180, right? I think I paid like $200 to ship him to Chicago. Holy moly. And Have I didn't charge the yet? guy for the fish. He was a friend and it just, I was willing to spend 200 bucks knowing that he went to a better place where he could be the king and have this swimming room, you know, because I, I, I attributed his territoriality as unhappiness, right? He's in this squat little 180, pissed off that he has to share it with a bunch of things. I thought it was a sign of stress. I imagine if you put him in a much larger tank, he'd be a lot friendlier. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, he'd, he'd have his territory. Yeah. So what else? What else, uh, what else is on your fish bucket list? You know what else is on my list? Because you've kept some stuff that I could only dream of keeping. Inverts. Okay. Invertebrates. We used to really um, clearly define corals, fish, and inverts. Yeah. And right now, inverts are pretty much relegated to cleanup crews. Yeah. There is not one single hermit crab in this freaking place. Not one. There is a handful of, of, of emerald crabs. I don't know. get some of those Halloween hermits, like the super orange. I do. They, they're cool. I just I can't live with hermits that crawl <laughs> over stuff, right? But yeah. um, last week I did get some regular feather dusters. Mm. I've had the Christmas tree worm rocks forever. Yeah. I have a, a healthy uh, assortment of clams, um, but like regular feather dusters. Those used to be in every tank. Yeah. I have a, a, a jumbo abalone in each of the coral flats. I'm actively trying to seek out more tropical abalone. That you know, would be they're cool. so cool and they're so hardy. Um, I have burned through sea hairs in conditions where my abalone just cruised. There's actually a large, a really large uh, blue linkia starfish that I got last week. I saw him in yeah. that tank. So I want to get some more starfish. Some nice real stars. Some nice, nice fromias, some nice linkias, some yeah. regular feather dusters. Uh, cocoa worms. I do have some pretty good anemones, but I don't have them any displays because it's, it's almost just like Murphy's Law. I'll leave town and they're going to find that power head. They'll stay in place for half a year and the weekend that I leave, they're going to find a power head. Yeah. I, you know, um, for a long time, I was always obsessed with those little reef lobsters. Mm -hmm. They say small, you know, but I mean, obviously those are, those are ticking time bombs, but, uh, I've always been fascinated by those. I always thought it'd be kind of cool to put in a, in a somewhat small tank where you're not too worried about casualties. Um, there's, there's a lot, you're, you bring up a good point. There, there's a lot that we overlook on the invert section. If it's not the cleanup. top of the news on reef to reef, yeah. it's completely ignored. If it's not making the headlines on Instagram, it's completely ignored. Like, I want to get a bunch of cleaner shrimp. I just haven't got around to it. I do have a, a blue coral bandage shrimp in my LPS tank and a regular coral bandage shrimp, which I bought as a blue coral bandage shrimp. And they sent me a rate. Oh my God, don't even start it. I don't even want to name who it was, but <laughs> it was supposed to be WYSIWYG. But yeah, it needs more cleaner shrimp in, in all the tanks. Um, I wish I could get more anemone crabs, porcelain crabs to put in the anemones. Oh, yeah. um, I wish I could get more periclemenes shrimp to just have like within the, 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 the hammer corals and some of the anemones. Um, yeah, they definitely want to fill out my invertebrates. Um, what's funny is I have um, uh, asterinas everywhere. I know I have at least three species. They don't bother me one bit. No, 
Not one. I thought day. about uh, for I had a big blow up of Astorinos, and I had was able to keep uh, a pair of Harlequin shrimp for about a year without ever directly feeding them, um, but then they eventually disappeared. You know, but. Um, I don't have the right population density of Astorina that I would feel right trying those guys again, but that was kind of a fun experience. Yeah. Um, I love arrow crabs, man, but I won't put one in a reef tank just because eventually they start to pick on things you don't want them to pick mm -hmm. on. Sort of like, I guess, how you feel about certain angels, but I've always just loved those guys, man. I just think they're the coolest crabs, right? Like an arrow crab crawling mm -hmm. around. Um, but you know, you could always set up a, just a dedicated tank for one of those. I, I just find them fascinating to watch. Um, yeah, inverts get a bad rap, I think. They have no rap. No rap, that's <laughs> a good no way to rap. put it. Yeah. No one's sitting here talking about the hype, you know, Stenopus uh, bandaged coral shrimp that they got. And uh, so that's one of the, the ways that I want to, to round out the tanks. But like, man, I could add like two or three regular Florida feather dusters to every tank and it would just be nice a little flourish. Dude, I loved your Condylactis anemone. Like, yeah. What happened to those guys? Remember them? Yeah, yeah. Condies are so beautiful. Yeah. That one I've been, again, kicking around forever. It's only been in its own breeder box for like two or three weeks. I've had it for two years. And it was actually in the acro tank, just moving around, stinging something new, moving around, <laughs> stinging, stinging something new. But yeah, dude, a full, healthy, jumbo, luscious, thriving Condi anemone. Hold, you know, that's toe-to-toe -to -toe with everything except for like a blue carpet or like a jumbo ritterite. But yeah, yeah, when you see condies diving in the Caribbean, you're like, wow. I've never gone down the Hadoni route, the, 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 the true, you know, the big sticky short tentacle carpet anemones, but I've always thought that would be fun to have in a species tank. Yeah, I just uh, recently, so I don't have any carpet anemones, but I have a couple pizzas and I'm trying to figure out, you know, how to keep them happy. So they're, you know, they're decent colored, but they've lost most of their colorful rim. And I'm trying to figure out how to get that rim to come back. And the weird, the, the catch 22 by the pizza anemones is they come in crazy colors, but they will literally eat every fish that isn't yeah. a Clark Eye clownfish. Because really? other clownfish will try to host in it and they will get stung and they will get eaten. It's, it's incredible. Wow. So, so they're gonna have to have like a dedicated display in the future. Well, and I know people have had good luck with the Hedonia anemones in certain reef situations. I know some p folks have said, you know, if you put some moonlighting above them, the fish can see where they're going and avoid it. I just can't take that chance. I would yeah. do a dedicated tank for one of those carpets, but I, I don't know. It's just not worth it. Cool. Well, we've been uh, wrapping for about an hour. Do you have any uh, closing thoughts for this um, companion session of reef therapy to the videos uh, we put out on YouTube? No, I mean, all I got to say is, uh, I mean, we kickstarted this uh, reef therapy thing during the whole era of COVID, right? And uh, um, like many folks, you know, I'm working from home in the basement and chatting with you on, then we did the video cam and we're remotely chatting and, and I really enjoyed that, but it's just, I feel like, I feel glass half full about a lot of things, just being able to hop on a plane, come out here. Obviously, you know, the predominant thing was to see some family out here, but to get to spend two whole days with you in this setting and just catch up in person, um, I really enjoyed it. I, I really appreciate the graciousness. You've been, uh, you know, hosting me. You've been buying me beer and food. 
I, I've been I've been living it up and enjoying it. Uh, well, thank your wife for me. <laughs> yeah, no, I just uh, one of these days I'll actually meet your children. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I just I'm I'm really grateful, and I feel like for me it's just a sign of the times that things are are going back to the normalcy that we all miss, right? Um, so, um, no, I've had I've had an amazing time. Uh, you know, it's almost overwhelming just because you have so many corals that, that it was, uh, I, I don't know, I've just never seen so many different species of corals in one place. Um, so, yeah, I, I loved it. So, I thank you again for your graciousness of hosting me. All right, well, that's, that's the European Mark Vanderwall yeah. coming out. <laughs> that's Where's the war, I'm feeling the warm and fuzzies. Um, no, no, I just really appreciate it. I've had a lot of fun. No, it was cool, it was cool having you out here and just, just really talking reef uh, hardcore, and man, I just I want to visit some other people's tanks too. You know, every time you see someone else's tank, it reframes your own aquariums and your own hobby and your own perspective on reef tanks and saltwater fish overall. And you know, going to reef shows is one thing, and it's cool to see um, uh, a bunch of models on the runway. And it's another thing to go to people's homes and see their corals and their livestock in a long-term setting. Well, so. and to, to, to build on that note, I mean, Instagram pictures and all of that, we've talked about that. Um, this time with you in the studio and just talking corals and, and deep diving some of your systems has inspired me more than, than anything online. You know, just getting with your reef buddy and yeah. just shooting the breeze and drinking a beer together and talking corals is the, the penultimate source of inspiration for your hobby and for your tank and for your passion. Cool. Well, we can't host everyone here, but I would definitely encourage everyone listening and or watching to con like really connect yeah. in a tangible way with your local community, with your local reefers. Go check out their tanks. That's you what was missing in COVID. And I know everybody's got different cold comfort levels about that right now and mm -hmm. vaccinations, but you know, if your comfort level is there, man, that's, that's, that's what's been missing for a while. You know, get back out there. Yeah, go see, some, go see some other reef hobbyist tanks, keeping it real. You know, connect with your local reef club. Um, you know, the virtual connection is not a substitute for going to visit an established reef tank of all different types and uh, compare notes and share frags. Don't sell them to each other. Just give them away, man. Just Well, I didn't go to Reef of Palooza. You did. But I remotely watched every video about Reef of Palooza, the one you did, the one that many others did, and the energy in those videos, you could tell that everyone was excited to be back together and, yep. and talk in Reef. And uh, I, you, could, you could feel that through the screen. So. Well, very cool, man. I hope you can make it out next year because we have a lot of progress in the yeah. works here at the Reef Builder Studio. I'm going to send you some care packages of some corals. and it's, I, I know you're overwhelmed, so you don't even have them picked out, but I have them picked out. Like, I know what you're like, well, so what corals do you want? I'm like, I don't even know. Yeah, I no, know. I, I know what kind <laughs> of corals are really going to uh, push your buttons in a good way. So, Mark, thanks so much for, for being here. And if you're just listening to this on uh, a podcast, just again to remind you, this was a companion session of reef therapy to accompany uh, what is likely to be a two part uh, video tour of the Reef Builder Studio with me and Mark. Um, in the house. So um, thanks everyone. Make sure to subscribe and comment and like wherever you're uh, enjoying this content and we'll catch you guys on a future episode.
Thanks, Jake. All right, thanks, Mark.